So we're going to look this morning at 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. We're looking from verse 50 through to 58. Um, and I'll just read the passage now. And then we will pray and then study. I tell you this, brothers and sisters. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we study this text today, Lord, that you would open our eyes, enable us to hear your truth. And Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word today that my thoughts, my words, my ideas would pass by, but that your eternal, unchangeable word would speak loudly and rest in our hearts, changing us, molding us, making us who you want us to be. Amen. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's a very long chapter, it's a chapter in the Bible that speaks about the resurrection. And we're going to be in the last few verses, but um, there's a few uh, parts of the chapter from earlier on that are relevant. He begins the chapter um, by talking about the gospel. He says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached, which you received and which you stand, which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you. He says of that gospel... He said, I delivered to you as a first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. And then he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still, asleep, are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. The chapter begins with Paul saying that the gospel, that Jesus Christ died, that he was buried, and that he rose again, according to the scriptures, 
But that gospel message is the message that they've taken out. It's the message of the church from that time through to this day. And any church that has a different message than that is not truly a church at all. That that is the, the crux of our faith. The death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's interesting to note that he gives uh, evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ by saying that at the time when, uh, when Christ was raised, he appeared to Peter, to the twelve. Cephas is another name for Peter. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. And he goes on to say that most of these are still alive. When we talk today about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, people will say, well, how do you know it happened? When he's arguing for the resurrection of Jesus back in the, the first generation afterwards, there were hundreds of people who saw him resurrected. Very easy to justify. Very easy to, to be able to prove. Just, just go and talk to them. They saw it. They were there. They'll tell you the details. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ is absolutely at the center of our faith. And it's something that, that hopefully that, that we, we can understand and we can believe in and we can trust in. But for sometimes as Christians, we forget that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not the only resurrection of the Bible. That in fact it is called here the first fruits, chapter 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In the passage that Jennifer read from, for us from 1 Thessalonians, and here multiple times, Paul uses the euphemism asleep to refer to those who have died. The reason for that is very simple. That death in the Bible is so often used to speak of eternal death, eternal separation from God. And for those who've placed their trust in Christ, there is no separation from God, neither in life nor death. So we just sung, we prayed that in that song that he would abide with us in both life and in, the, and in death as well. And so, um, with the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep, he's saying that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is but the first of those who are sleeping, those who died in faith, to be raised again. In other words, that Christ leads the way. Christ leads the way. And so as Christians, we, we stand in opposition to the popular mythology that when people die, that they go to join little fat baby looking like angels with little wings and sit on clouds. That there's somehow the idea that Christians for eternity are going to be devoid of bodies. The reality is that when we die, that we go to be with the Lord. Absolutely. But the final state of all Christians is bodily. We're going to have bodies. We're going to have bodies for all eternity. When bodies were originally made, Adam and Eve, they were intended for all eternity. There was no danger if they had not eaten the fruit that they were forbidden to eat, that they would have somehow needed to have traded their body in for a, for a new one every hundred years or so. The bodies were designed to last forever. You say, well, that's kind of hard to believe because mine's not doing so well. Most of us, beyond a certain age, we look in the mirror and occasionally see additional lines developing. 
Things that used to work well don't work quite as well as they used to. If you're under 25, you might not know what I'm talking about, but you will. The time will come when the things that were easy get harder, things that you could remember you can't remember, and the effects of age impact us all. Our bodies are frail, they deteriorate, and ultimately they will fail us completely. Why? Why if a body was so perfectly made by a perfect God, do bodies fall apart? The answer is very simple. Sin. Sin. One thing that we need to be absolutely clear on is that the death of Christ that was spoken of in this passage, that the death of Christ is a death that is a punishment. That Christ was punished. It wasn't he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. It wasn't some symbolic gesture, but he was punished. Adam and Eve would have lived forever, but the price of sin was death. They were told, if you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. The, the price of their sin was death. And that death has passed down to us all. If you want to know if you're a sinner or not, it's very simple to work it out. Are you aging? Are you going to die one day? Then you're a sinner. Because that is the fruit of sin. The fruit of sin in our, in our bodies. And so when Christ died, he was punished for sin. Not his own sin. He committed no sin. But rather that he was punished in our place for our sins. That's the reason for his death. That God poured out upon him his wrath, his anger his righteous anger against sin, so that we, if we place our trust in him, won't have to have that same wrath poured upon us. In a sense, Christ stands in our place, being punished for the things that we should have been punished for. But he didn't stay dead. He was, as Paul euphemistically says here, asleep. And he rose from the dead to show that he had power over death. If the reason for death is sin, then the reason that Christ has power over death is because he has power over sin. So often in our lives, we struggle with things that we do that are wrong, that we know are wrong. Sometimes we want to stop doing things and we, we don't seem to be able to stop doing them. The things that we want to do that we don't go out and do. And we are captive, as it were, to our sinful desires. Sometimes there are things that we should want to give up that we don't want to give up. Because even our desires, what we want, have become captive to sin as well. We are quite literally slaves. People think that they're free and they can do whatever they want, but the desires that they have, the things they choose to do, are so are taken captive by the sin that we all have within our own failing bodies. And that's why in verse 50, we're told this truth, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the perishable. You can't be in the presence of God with sin because he is a holy God. If a person chooses sin, then they have rejected God. You cannot 
put sin in the presence of God. That's what he's saying here. Because of the sinfulness of flesh and blood, it can't inherit the kingdom of God. You and I, in these bodies that are dying and getting old and falling apart, these bodies, we can't be on the kingdom of God. We can't be in the presence of God forever. He can't have our bodies there because our bodies are sinful. What is perishable cannot inherit what is imperishable. And so he tells us a mystery. A mystery, biblically, is something that is unrevealed in the Old Testament, that is made clear in the New. And he says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That's the passage that Jennifer read for us this morning. That at some point, the last trumpet will sound and Christ will return, and some people will be alive. Most of us will be dead. Though I pray he comes quickly. And when he comes, whether alive or dead, all of those who've trusted in him will be changed. We shall all be changed. It's not going to be uh, a sort of gradual transformation as, as happens now with the slow aging and the effects of life. But rather it's going to be in the twinkling of an eye. The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this imperishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. In other words, we've got to be given bodies that no longer have sin. That when Christ deals with sin, he pays the price for sin so that we don't have to be punished. He gives us power over sin so that our lives can gradually change now. And then at the end, we're finally rid of this cage of sin that we are within. And he will give us new bodies in a new heaven and a new earth. It is then, we're told, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, when the mortal puts on immortality, that shall come to pass the saying that is written. And the saying that's written is actually just the first part of this. The saying that is written is, death is swallowed up in victory. It's a reference to Isaiah 25. We've talked through that at church recently. And in Isaiah 25, there is the, the um, scenario where there will be a feast and they will be celebrating when the kingdom of God begins. And then there is this glorious moment when God will have his own dish. When he will feast. And what will he feast on? He will feast on death. There will come a time at the end of time when death will come to an end. And because of that, he then goes on to quote from Hosea 13 and say, Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? It is a statement that shows no fear of death. It's a statement that speaks about death being empty of any threat. The reason is given. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the only reason that death has any threat to us at all is because we're sinners. And when we die still as sinners, if we die with our sin still to be paid for, 
then we stand before a holy and almighty God and we stand rightfully under his judgment. But when sin has been dealt with, when sin has been paid for by the sacrifice of Christ, then there is no threat to death. For those of us who believe and those of us who have trusted Christ for our salvation, there is no need to fear death. Death has no threat. We can get older, we can fail, and we need not be scared. If there's one thing that the year 2020 has taught us is the extent to which people fear death and the extent to which they'll go to avoid death. While all the world was running around, scared of the fear of potential death, Margie's own life was wasting away. The last weeks, she was in hospice care in her home. Had the privilege of being able to visit with her several times. My wife and I were able to go and see her and pray with her. And of course, as always with Margie, you go away feeling like you've been ministered to rather than you did any ministering. And you know what? I didn't get even the slightest glimpse of the fear of death. Not a hint. Not a whisper. Not a sniff. She simply didn't fear it. That wasn't to say, like any fallen person, she didn't have concerns. She wanted to make sure we sung the right songs this morning. She wanted to make sure it was on a Sunday so that her church friends would be here and would remember her and know who she was. She wanted to make sure that things were done a certain way. She wanted a family to walk with Christ. Told me that again and again and again. She had concerns, but dying wasn't one of them. Because death had lost its sting. And Margie, right now, left her body behind. It was buried in the ground of Valhalla, but she was no longer there. And when she left it behind, she left behind sin. She left behind her struggles. She left behind pain. She left behind everything that is lacking in this sinful world. The day will come when those of us who trust Christ will be gathered together again with him. And we will be changed in a moment. In a moment we will be changed. And our bodies will be restored to us. We will be resurrected and our bodies will be glorified. These bodies will be different from our current bodies. They will be different from our current bodies because our new bodies will be imperishable. And the only difference is simply this. That there will be no sin. I'm convinced when we look and we see friends and family in the coming age that we'll probably recognize them 
no indication of complete face change. But there'll be no aging marks, there'll be no lines, there'll be no sickness, there'll be no poor health. There'll be no tears, there'll be no sadness. There'll be no second guessing any of God's decisions or judgments. When we see him face to face, we'll know him and we won't question him. The things that we didn't understand, some will understand. Others we may not, but we'll trust. Everything within us that will glorify ourselves, turn away from God, and bring sin into our lives, it's gone. That's why in that first Thessalonians passage, we don't grieve like others do. We should have no doubt that Margie is with her Lord. We should have no doubt that she's free of pain. We should have no doubt that every struggle she's ever had, every question she ever struggled with, that it's all gone. Though we may cry because we miss her, let us be sure we understand that our tears are for us and not for her. Doesn't invalidate them because she was special and we're going to dearly miss her. I'm going to miss her encouraging words. I'm going to miss her, her beautiful smile, how welcoming she was, how she always sought to love and to bless other people before herself. Of course we're going to miss her. So of course it's only right that we should grieve but it's a different kind of grief because our tears are not for her. As her friend Rosalinda always says, she was promoted to heaven. And so, Margie is receiving the beginning of her inheritance. There is victory that she has in the Lord Jesus Christ because her trust was in him. The last verse of the passage says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, that knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What a wonderful verse when I'm thinking of Margie. The argument here is because Jesus was resurrected, because we've trusted in him, we are in him, and therefore we too will be resurrected. And therefore, because of the assurances that we have, we need to live this life. Working hard, seeking to do what's right, abounding in God's love, being steadfast, immovable, labor, work. Can you see the difference between a true Christian faith and other religion? A true Christian faith does not say work so that you can get to glory. A true Christian faith says you have a place in glory. It's assured you can trust him because you have trusted him. You can trust him with this and so because of what you know you have, because of what you know cannot be taken away, 
Live your life for him. Pour out every last ounce of energy, every last breath, not for your own good, not for your own comfort, not for your own glory, but for the glory of Christ. Margie lived that to the end. She lived that to the very end. I saw it when I visited her. I've spoken to family who saw the same thing. That there she is, encouraging, encouraging people to trust in Christ, to live for Christ, to walk for Christ. And it's my job. Boy, did she tell me it was my job. She held my hand. She looked me in the eyes. You must, she says. So I shall. Encourage you all, if you haven't trusted in her Saviour, to trust in her Saviour for yourself. An acquaintance with church, a religious background, a Christian family, an understanding of right and wrong, these things do nothing. As we say in England, they cut no mustard. It is only trusting in Christ's death in your place for your sins. It's only that trust towards him that will save us all. And also for those of you who have trusted, that you would take verse 58 to heart, that you would know, that you would understand that that assurance, that gift, that blessing, that freedom from sin means that right here, right now, our lives are not our own. That our purpose is not for our own well-being, our own satisfaction, our own glory. That our purpose for being here, the reason that God has put breath in our lungs, is to glorify him. Not because he's some megalomaniac who demands our glory, but that because glorifying God is the best thing that we could do. For us to glorify him, to live for him, to praise him, is the greatest thing that we can do because it is what we were made for. And there are so many here who can testify that letting go of our own desires and seeking after God has been the gift that just continues to give. And I look forward. Yeah, look forward. I actually mean that. To standing in the face of death with the privilege and opportunity of not giving it the slightest care or concern. Sure, I don't want pain. I don't want to suffer. Who does? But death itself? It has no threat to me. And it is my prayer, and dearest Margie's most fervent prayer, that it would hold no threat to you either. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the life of our beloved sister in Christ, grandmother, aunt, relative, friend, Margie. It is my prayer today that everybody gathered here, everybody gathered here in person, everybody watching at home as well, that each one would place their trust in her Saviour, in our Saviour, in the only Saviour.
from sin, our Lord Jesus Christ. It is in my prayer that each and every one of us would seek to live for him. Not a life of earning our way to heaven, not a life of imposition, but a life of rejoicing and a life of thankfulness that the gift of sin, sorry, the gift of freedom from sin, the gift of life that you have given to us. Father, may the words of Scripture resonate in our hearts. May your Holy Spirit open our eyes and may we be changed this day, we pray. That one day, one glorious day, along with Margie, we might all be changed and put on the imperishable that we might be with you forever. Amen.